Welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Toodly-doo. It's not quite toodaloo. It's, um, are we about to pass into an ethereal realm? Yes, it, 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 it's actually a flashback. For yeah. There we go. Uh, this week on the podcast, we are interviewing Lauren Roy, one of our very prolific writers. She's worked on most game lines at this point. Uh, yeah. I think that she said if you include Contagion Chronicle as being all Chronicles lines, she's worked on all Chronicles lines, which I'm okay with. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> Because personally, I decided that I had worked on all the Chronicles lines when I edited uh, the first Dark Arrows companion. Right. I was like, this counts. This totally counts. Uh, because at, uh, at the time, I was in a competition with one of my other friends to see who got to work on all the lines first. So you just kind of cheated. I mean, that's not cheating. All the lines are in that book. Hmm. I, well, I mean, obviously, the lines that didn't exist yet were in that book. True, yeah. but I've worked on this. <laughs> yeah no no i also think okay, i think because dixie has edited all of them it's not like just being a writer of a vampire chapter on a dark eras book um i think if you're the editor or the developer then you have automatically uh gained each of those on your belt and that means i i am also a fully fledged chronicles of darkness developer because i developed the contagion chronicle lucky see? me see see you were also one of the developers on dark eras too <laughs> Yeah, so I was. I forgot about that. <laughs> I was wondering if you remembered that you had done that work. Ah, uh, once upon a time. I was told recently that I that a book that I had worked on for Call of Cthulhu had come out. And it took me a while to remember that I'd even written it. Uh, so, yeah. Do check that out, listeners. It's not Onyx Path, but it's part of the Flotsam and Jetsam Call of Cthulhu uh, organized play. Does it have a name, or is it just uh, yes, the book my, Matthew Dawkins worked on? <laughs> my one is called Inheritance. It's your it's your favorite kind of Call of Cthulhu scenario. It's set in Innsmouth. There are deep ones. There's a will reading. It's contested, and there's a chase across town and kidnappings by the cliffs. It's everything you could really want out of a Call of Cthulhu scenario. It's nice. It's vintage. It feels familiar. And it doesn't have to end in the loss of sanity points or death like those Call of Cthulhu scenarios. Well, I know Eddie has talked before about um, forgetting you've worked on things. I feel like that's probably a problem that Lauren has occasionally because she is one of our, like I said, writers that's done a ton of stuff for a bunch of different lines. She writes a lot of our fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, but she's also very handy with mechanics. She's doing some development work over on Exalted as well as Contagion Chronicle. Uh, she has written novels on her own that are not affiliated with us. She's also written one of the upcoming Exalted novellas. Uh, she's she's all over the place. Um, and I would bet that she's one of those people who occasionally opens a book and goes, I wrote this? I wrote this. <laughs> huh. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, there has been definitely this trend of... of... Uh, of women developers who are just doing everything, you know, Danielle, Megan, and Lauren, just like people who, you know, Monica's back another one. It's like people who work on everything, and it just it, it amazes me how much they can keep in their heads. Yeah, I mean that's that's the one thing about editing. Like I always say, is it you know it goes out of my head immediately mm-hmm. <laughs> after I finish it, so I'm not keeping it all in my head. Like every now and then, somebody will try to talk to me about the you know finer points of a Chronicles mechanic or something, and I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, but you've you edited all the core books, and I'm like, yep. <laughs> can't 
can't tell you how stuff works for the most part. I mean, yes, I've got Am all I the basics. Am I editing it now? Down. Otherwise, I don't care. Yeah, I've like got all the basics down, but like I can't tell you the specific resolution conditions or the like resolution mechanics for a condition. You know, because like, I I don't know. I, I I read them and I occasionally check them against a different two E core book, and then I I go on my merry way. Mm-hmm. And they slide out of my head, but. As, as we talked before, I'm also a very, like, tactile learner, so mm-hmm. I've never retained information well that goes in my head. And I, I realized only very recently, it's a funny thing to realize when you're 34 as opposed to realizing it when you're much younger, is that I think that's why I've always been happy to reread books. I know a lot of people who never reread books, mm-hmm. and if I really like a book, I mean, when I was younger, I, I would read a book 30, 50 times if, if I really liked it. Mm-hmm. At that point, I do remember it, but, like, if I read it once and then I, you know go to read it six months or a year later i uh i don't remember everything that happened i like maybe like broad stroke story beats um which makes it really hard to read ongoing series <laughs> i have the exact same problem i'll yeah. see it oh sorry you go for it <laughs> i was just saying it's like um uh w- with ongoing series in particular is like a lot of times i'll have to go back and read the last book before the one i just got right to remind myself what happened before <laughs> Right, so now imagine that series is Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive, and every book is 1,200 pages. Because <laughs> <laughs> I bought book three when it came out, and I have not, I, I probably read 10% of it, and I was going, like, I don't remember what's happening. And I mean, it, it came out like over a year ago. Um, and so now I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, I should probably reread the first two before I yep. read the third one. But also, should I just wait for the fourth one to come out at this point <laughs> and read all four of them? Because, like, I don't. I don't know what I'm going to remember and what I'm not. And even, even like books that I love, like if I go back and reread the the Cushel's Dart series that I mention on here all the time, I remember the first book very, very well because I probably reread that one the most. Yep. But once once I get past book three or so, like side stories and scenes will pop up that I'm like, oh, I forgot about this part. This is cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I just I just don't remember read content as well which was uh which which made school pretty rough i had to do a lot of talking in class to get any information to stick now uh, see i think uh my my lack of retention of information now has it, that's just down to age for me i can remember <laughs> when i uh i know i'm the youngest uh i, <laughs> I remember i read the battle royale novel uh by it's kushan so takami yep uh mm-hmm many 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 times when i was in my i guess late teens and early 20s it was i know it wasn't exactly relatable because i wasn't in that situation but it was almost young adult but violent and that appealed to me and uh and so i can still remember pretty much the order in which every single student dies the, their names, the methods, uh, mm. and even though it differs from the movie in parts, and and I had even bought the manga and I went through all of that, which isn't very good. I'll be honest; it's very gratuitous. But well, that's because they stretched one story out into like forty three thousand volumes. Yeah, well, I have heard mm. that the the Japanese language version is far better. The English translation takes a lot of liberties with the text and starts inserting this reality TV show side into it, which has never existed in the novel or the movie. Huh. Uh, 
Yeah, and you never see any cameras or anything like that in the manga. It's just in the background that the characters are always talking about this all being broadcast back home. So I'm guessing the translator was hot on Big Brother at the time and decided, okay, that's how we're going to make Battle Royale relatable. Uh, But anyway, yeah, um, that said, when, uh, I guess, what would it be, the Winds of Winter inevitably come out for... (laughs) comes out for a song of ice and fire i really don't want to read a dance with dragons again but i feel like i'm gonna have to i'm either going to have to or i will cheat and go on the song of ice and fire wiki and just read up on where all of my favorite characters were at the end of the last novel uh because that that is a beast of a novel dance with dragons yeah i definitely had to reread the first four before i reread that be before i read that one when it came out Mm. And even then, like, I, I have trouble with Game of Thrones anyway because there's so many characters and some of them have very, very similar names. Yeah. Yes. Um, there are definitely times when I was like, who who are we talking about? Oh, okay. Th- this person. Which, I mean, granted, I kind of like that that's more realistic than most fantasy novels where everybody's got a completely unique name. Mm. Um, like, if there's one guy named Mike, you'll never meet another Mike ever again. Uh, right. So, you know, <laughs> it makes more sense for some people to have the same name. But, like, it's 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 very, very strange, uh, yeah, having to go back and, and reread everything. And I really like Brandon Sanderson's novels, but I'm just not sure I can follow an ongoing series. I think I just should wait until they're all out. Like, I didn't read the Mistborn series until the first trilogy was done. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to read the Wax and Wayne series as it came out, and I've forgotten what happened in the first two books, so I should probably go back and reread all of them. That's yeah. my problem. Also, he writes too much. Brandon Sanderson, stop writing so much. <laughs> You put out like seven books a year. It is frustrating to watch because you're right. too good. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. It's just, stop writing so much. And so is Lauren um, Roy. I, I was going to say, and, and now someone that we don't want to stop writing so much. <laughs> we want her to keep writing as much as she possibly can. Uh, let's move on to the interview with Lauren. And here we are in the interview portion of the podcast. I was going to sing a little song about it. Uh, so I'm here, as always, with Matthew Dawkins. Not, not always. Not as always, no, no, but it's nice to be here. But I'm here right now with Matthew Dawkins, which is kind of fun, because we very rarely get to do interviews together. So That is this true. This will be exciting. I think the last one we did was Richard Dansky. Oh, that was a while back, too. Yeah. Oh, well, cool. Well, today we are here with Lauren Roy. Uh, she has written on a ton of lines for us, uh, most of the Chronicles lines, a few World of Darkness lines, and I think just about every Story Path line, as well as uh, Monarchies of Mao, so part of the Pugmire universe. Uh, she's a little bit of everything. She's also a published author in her own right. Uh, she's worked on Exalted, worked on all kinds of things, so I'm sure we will not run out of things to talk about with Lauren today. Hello, Lauren. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We always love interviewing like as many of our freelancers as we can obviously and you're one of those who's been kind of all over the place for so long that <laughs> <laughs> i am sure we will have uh like i said no no lack of subjects so with most of our interviews the first question we usually ask is how did you get into writing for onyx path like what what were your first kind of projects how did you join our little family sure so i gosh i've been do- i've been writing for onyx path since dark ages vampire was my first um, Onyx Path project. So Olivia mm-hmm. Hill had put out a call on Twitter for um, women who were interested in getting you know, more involved in writing for games. And I'd written for a few 
before that, but I just pinged and said, hey, you know, I'd be interested. And I think it was like six months later, she said, I've got some room on Dark Ages Vampire. What do you think? And I said, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from there, I, I should have looked up in my email. It was either um, Mage, Sec The Awakening, second edition or Trinity mm -hmm. that I moved over to. And so it, I, it was funny. I was listening to the interview with Monica Specka and mm -hmm. our trajectory through Onyx Path has been very similar. Oh yeah, <laughs> like I, she was naming naming the games she'd worked on. I'm like, yep, yep. I was on Monica with that one with Monica, and I was on that one with Monica. <laughs> so Monica Specka are the are the dastardly duo that comes right. through and just <laughs> works and everything together. Yep. So you said you did a few things before that. What other companies did you work for before Onyx Path? So I started out um, on the. Dragon Age role-playing game through Green Ronin, mm -hmm. and uh, then moved over and did a chapter on Song of Ice and Fire um, for the Dragon's Horde. Uh, I've done a couple of Trail of Cthulhu adventures for Pelgrane, and I built a world for Storium, which, um, the online role-playing game. I've got to say, I feel like if you're going to come into the industry, coming in on two projects like Dragon Age and Song of Ice and Fire is not, not a bad way to start out since they're such well-known licensed properties. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is I, the like my entry probably into the RPG writing world probably can be directly traced back to World of Warcraft. Um, I play on a role-playing server and one of my mm -hmm. dearest friends from, from WoW uh, is Marty Gleason, who interned for white wolf when he was in college um and okay. one of his best friends in the world is will hydemarch and when marty has two friends who are who share similar interests he does he wants you to meet and share you know share your squee and <laughs> so, so i went out to, to chicago to visit and um marty was like so you know you you want you you're a writer and will is a developer and i want you two to meet and we had coffee and will at the time was developing dragon age and he said so i hear you play dragon age and i hear you write and send me a sample so i did and <laughs> suddenly i'm working for games so what you're telling me is that i spent 10 years playing on the wrong world of warcraft server <laughs> and... come to feather moon we write stuff <laughs> and had i been on the correct world of warcraft server i would have gotten jobs in the industry far sooner <laughs> it's it's so funny because there's a lot of people a lot of our server um, mm -hmm. We just had a huge fiction community, and one of the things that we did, the the Wrath of the Lich King expansion had that quest that was, you know, the Wrath Gate. It's about halfway through mm -hmm. the expansion. Oh, and yeah. so many of our characters' backstories were like, you know, let's go get Arthas, that we actually did a sort of narrated, um, you know, kind of collaborative fiction around it. And some of us would take story beats during, you know, that you see during the cutscenes and write them up. And you'd have like two or three days to talk about what your character was doing during that time. And one of the narrative beats that I had written just to, you know, kind of move the plot along was one of the things I sent to Will as my sample piece to show him that that's... I could like play in somebody else's sandbox. <laughs> that's so much fun. <laughs> I really love that. I love that essentially writing World of Warcraft fan fiction is what got you into Dragon Age. Basically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That's so cool, though. Like I was, I was a WoW player for many, many years, and I mean, it's a, it's a rich world to draw lore from. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. See, that's a, that, that's a big gap in my, I guess, geek knowledge, my geek fandom, or whatever you might call it, because I have never played World of Warcraft. 
and I had no idea that it even had servers dedicated to to role play and writing oh, fan fiction. Mm-hmm. So many. Um, yeah, World of Warcraft servers are divided into essentially three types. Uh, so there's PVE, which is player versus environment, so you don't fight other players. There's PvP, where you can fight other players of the opposing factions to your own. And then there's the role-playing servers, mm. where I think they come in PvE and PvP. Am I correct, Lauren? You're correct, yeah. Yeah. So you can do role-playing where you fight other members. You can do role-playing where you don't. But generally, you're encouraged to stay in character. Granted, if you're talking to somebody in private messages, you don't always have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it, like if I was playing with Lauren and I was just like, hey, Lauren, what's up? You know, like I can yeah. talk to her as a person. But if you're talking out in public or in your guild or whatever you were generally encouraged to say in character some of them had a very bad reputation when i started playing mm-hmm. which is why i didn't play on them yeah <laughs> because a lot of them were you know kind of uh sexting havens what <laughs> one of one of the the big uh you know at the time everybody was talking about it incidents did happen on feather moon <laughs> yeah like when you said feather moon i was like i feel like i have yeah. a negative connotation with that but that's probably just from a rumor from 15 years back at this point <laughs> <laughs> it so. was it was overall it was a pretty good server and we had just a lot of really intense interactive like you would have plot lines that went on for years that you know people would call back to and be like oh yeah this is you know this is this person and that happened and yeah so the one thing i think you can get out of a a role-playing rpg server like that matthew that you can't get with like tech stuff is it really is it's a it's it's digital larp yeah Mm -hmm. because you can see each other you can see your avatars at least yep so you know much like things like second life and whatever it is Mm. it is true digital larp um, as opposed to just play by text or what have you. Okay. All right. Well, consider me educated. Uh, <laughs> d- did you ever play the World of Warcraft tabletop role-playing game, Lauren? I have not, no. We we did for a while have a bunch of the uh, collectible cards in our house. I was not the one playing that, but um, we, we have not played the tabletop game. I played a session on the tabletop, mostly because one of my friends really really wanted to run it at one point and i was like i i have it because when i was playing wow really hardcore i bought it yeah how <laughs> so like, like what is it what is the the i don't even remember what it. the yeah. system is i um, believe it's a d20 game i think yeah, it was a... yeah it was released around the zenith zenith of third edition when every every single property was getting a d20 license and it was white wolf as well yeah which you is the other reason i bought it might be a copy in this house I know we haven't played it, but I feel like we might own it. Yeah, it was like Warcraft, the role-playing game. I, um, I can see I the cover in my head, so yeah. So no, I don't think we've played... I know we haven't played it, but I suspect we own it. I'm gonna yeah, I think, go I think Chris through. Metzen worked on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. But it was still definitely like, you know, it was... It wasn't the best system I ever played as I was playing a tabletop role-playing game. Like, really, I think the one the one session I played was after I stopped playing WoW, and so I was kind of like, eh, I'd rather just play the game again if, like, it's going to yeah. be like this, so. <laughs> well, super cool. So I know that also, in addition to your RPG writing, you have written a few novels. I have. Uh, do you want to talk about those a little bit? Because I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, I have not read them yet. I've only That's read okay. the novella that you've written for Exalted, and even then I've only read part of it because I'm doing <laughs> my novella reading. Um, That's totally fine. But, but you are kind of known in our freelancing community for writing fiction. 
Um, I know that you wrote the fiction for you wrote one of the stories for Scion. You've mm-hmm. written a bunch of uh, in, intro fiction for all kinds of things across our lines. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your your personal novels that you've written. Sure. So there's there's three right now. Um, mm-hmm. The the main ones that I think are probably easiest to find are Night Owls and Grave Matters, which are urban fantasy. Um, it's a, about a vampire who owns a bookstore and her smart-ass crew of booksellers and monster hunters. And <laughs> why I haven't read these. I feel like they read right at my alley. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was totally pandering when I wrote them because I was a bookseller. I worked in an independent bookstore for, you know, all through high school and college. Mm-hmm. And um, they're kind of indie booksellers are, are you know, my, my heart is still there. Um, so the, the store in Night Owls is absolutely based on the one that I worked at. And uh, I had, it was one of those weird things. I, I started it for NaNoWriMo, like, gosh, probably 2004 or something like that and got 20,000 words in and a bunch of it was junk. <laughs> and um, I had started some other short story about some other character and kind of realized they could totally exist in the same world and that this short story character was the one dragging the monsters into town with her. And the vampire just wants to sell books. Like, <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't really want to be hunting monsters. She did that. She's done. But suddenly there's monsters that are her back door so now she's got to deal with it so i always like kind of stuff like that like the re, re reluctant hero type type story you know yeah so fun and i'm, I'm a big if... fan of oh go ahead no you go ahead uh, i'm go. a big fan of um ensemble casts they're mm-hmm. they're totally my catnip so i you know there's a there's a bunch of different characters and points of view and uh that's just one of those things that i i love sort of seeing what other characters are doing while the plot is is going on and you know one person's goals butt up against another person's goals and how do you resolve that um, right i feel like using catnip in that way is one of those terms that comes from like the urban fantasy slash romance landia <laughs> and i never see anybody else use it like saying that something is like you know the like thing that always gets you into a book Oh, that's fun. Like, yeah. I'm trying I don't I, know where I picked it up. Probably you're right. Yeah. I think I got it from the Smart Bitches Trashy Books podcast. Oh, that could be it. I they read, all I, said it all the time. <laughs> yep. I, I haven't listened to their podcast, but I have read their blog. Yeah. So like I I, I kinda got it from them and I, I almost never hear it outside of Romance Landia, so that's, that's fun. <laughs> also, Romance Landia is a term that we who read romance novels use to refer to ourselves. It's very strange. Yep. Uh what about the Fire Children? Uh, so that is a YA fantasy, a young adult fantasy. Mm-hmm. And um, it is, I have this weird tendency where I start a short story and it turns into a novel. Right. <laughs> it, it's it's a little bit annoying, um, but I had had, you know, a, a short story idea and I realized that in order to, to do what I wanted it to do, it was going to have to be much longer. So um, basically once every however many years the there's there's, it's a giant eclipse the Mm -hmm. uh the moon goes to visit her sister the sun and the sun sends her children down to earth while it's dark and they get to run around and explore and everybody in the particular town that this eclipse is over um they go underground 
for the entire time that the fire children are running up around upstairs um, because it's dangerous. You, you don't want to, you know, touch fire. Say, yeah, that, that <laughs> seems wise. Yeah. And so one little girl is, of course, extremely curious. And uh, she she sneaks upstairs to go see what's going on and, and just wants to, like, get a glimpse because she's she's got it in her head that they're not real. Like, this is just this is yeah, of course. all a big joke. And uh, so she goes upstairs and not only are they very real, but a bunch of witches are trying to trap the fire children and do something nefarious with them. And she gets stuck upstairs and try, meets one of them and, and meets one of the fire children, not one of the witches, um, and has to try to, you know, save them all. That's so sweet. Yeah. I also like stories with small girl protagonists. I love to hear, I love to hear that you, you're writing such a range of work as well, because when I compare something like that to the horror you're quite often writing for us mm-hmm. it's I, I know how challenging it can be sometimes to switch gears but also how refreshing it can be to switch gears as well sometimes <laughs> you need that that headspace to be able to write something a bit more young adult uh, in tone uh, do, do you ever find as a writer that you you are essentially forcing yourself to do that just so you can i guess clear your mind or is it always more is it more i guess uh down to i guess a question of taste um i i've definitely sort of switched gear yeah like as a palate cleanser almost you've written something really heavy and you kind of need something happy or fun or silly to to kind of get yourself out of that groove one thing i've definitely learned is i'm not i'm not good at switching gears on the same day so Mm -hmm. if i'm writing you know something for chronicles of darkness i can't write something for exalted that same day i have to just dedicate the day to the one game line um because otherwise (laughs) part of it i think is the voice you know they're they're very distinct voices from one another and you get into that groove of you know what what the chronicles of darkness sounds like is going to be I'm sure there's somebody who could look at two pieces of, of fiction I've written for the different lines and go, yeah, that's totally Lauren. Um, but for me, it's a different headspace entirely. And so if I've written something really heavy, I'll kind of bounce over. I'm, I'm working on a novel that's um, a rock band who had sold their souls to the devil. They've been on hiatus for like 20 years. Now the lead singer, who's a total jerk, wants to get the band back together and go on one final like big reunion tour. And that's sort of a fun, smart-assy kind of feel to it. So if I'm writing something really heavy, I'll, I'll bounce over to that for a day or so just to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get in a, yeah, jumping back and forth between those voices. I feel the same way about editing because, like, if I've been working on, as, as you say, like, Chronicles core books, World of Darkness core books or whatever, I'm always very, very delighted to get something like an exalted novella or, a, you know, Pugmire fiction anthology to kind of break it up because you just get to a point where you're like everything I've read for the past month has been darkity dark dark doom Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to read something like I love going from that to exalted where it's like adventurers who are glowing with big swords and I'm like yes yes please please do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, or or even just going to Pugmire or or Monarchies where I'm like yeah, there's there's still some angst there, obviously, but also it's dogs and it's cats and I love them and yeah. you know it's a little lighter in tone. Yeah, I was when I was working on monarchies. It was it was right around when I had um, I think it, it was actually like right after I quit my day job to write full time, and okay. I was working on monarchies at that point in time, and it was like the perfect thing to be working on right then because I was having all the feels about 
having left this job I'd been at for 17 years. I, I miss the people and I love the people and I'm not doing that. And, you know, who even am I now? And then I'm like, oh, cats, here we go. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I mean, also, since since Pugmire Monarchies are very much games about nostalgia and whatever, I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm sure those feelings translated very well. Also, oh, yeah. I'm very eloquent today. Nostalgia and whatever. <laughs> um, I knew what I meant. Words. But, but, but yeah, so I mean, it's just one of those things where like, I think that writing, especially fiction for the, the realms of Pugmire is like having a little bit of of that gravitas to it really helps it. Mm -hmm. I can always kind of tell, I think when I'm reading a story that somebody wrote, whether they actually kind of got the like gravity and nostalgia of the world yeah, or whether they were just like fun dogs adventure. you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it does a really good job that the entire setting of blending that kind of whimsy with seriousness. And I mean, that's, it was when I was first reading it, I'm like, wow, this is really like, you could tell some super serious stories in this. And mm -hmm. it was, but still with that feeling of, you know, I, I have a, a friend who sent me a message. She said, oh my God, I'm playing this game called Pugmire. And the, the main thing is, you know, be a good dog. And I'm like, yeah, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and he just like gushed at me for like 20 minutes. And, and then he, you know, he's, I said, oh yeah, there, there's a companion called Monarchies of Mao. And he looks it up and he goes, you wrote on that, huh? <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> I think I think one of my favorite experiences that you can have at a at a con or with a friend or something is when someone is just telling you gleefully how much they love a thing you worked on and they don't know you've worked on mm -hmm. it. Because uh, that's that's just nice because you know that you're getting their their unfettered opinion. Yes. You know they don't they don't know who I am. They don't know who like you know Matthew is, for instance. And they're talking about how great this book is, and you're like, oh. Thank you. Yeah. I, I did that. That's that's me. Uh, so yeah, it's a really, really cool feeling. Yeah. So I know that in addition to doing a lot of our fiction writing, which we can get back to and kind of poke at a little bit deeper in a minute here, uh, you've just started developing for us, uh, mostly yeah. for Exalted. Yep. Uh, so you're helping Megan out with the 100 Devils Night Parade and Adversaries of the Righteous collections yeah it's megan is wonderful like i she has just been so good at you know sort of telling me the things that i need to know and then just like okay now go do it and mm -hmm. but you know really thoughtful and you know getting getting red lines from megan because i wrote for megan on, on changeling and on um night horrors and she's always got these really great points of like, oh, you know, con consider this, and um, you know, hey, how would how would this work if you take it a little bit farther? And that really kind of reading the things that I've written, but also extrapolating from it. And mm -hmm. so it's it's been really. Uh, I'm trying to think of the words. Words are hard. Um, she's just been a really good mentor for that. And you know, I'll I'll ask a question, and be like, Megan, what do you think? And then she'll have a completely, you know bouncing right off of that and kind of expanding on it into things I didn't even think of. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's been really, it's, it's cool. I, it's a different part of my brain, I think developing versus writing. Um, oh, definitely. And there's, there's such a great amount of support in, in the communities. Like that, that's one of the things that has been new in the last, what, two or three years where Slack has become a thing. Um, right. And, you know, on, on pretty much every project I'm on now, I think there's a Slack for it and that amount of collaboration. So if you don't know something, it's okay. Like, it's okay not 
to know the answer right away because somebody does. Mm-hmm. And you can ask the question and nobody, you know, my, my thing has always been if somebody makes you feel bad, you're not a bad writer. They're, they're a bad, you know, editor or developer or whatever. Like it's a very supportive community. Mm. Yeah, it, 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 it truly is. Cause I mean, we have a bunch of developers on exalted. So we have a special channel in the Slack just for devs to talk. Mm-hmm. So often if we have kind of a high level question, somebody will go there first. Yep. <laughs> and then sometimes the answer is we should just ask in general, see what they think. Yeah. You know? Well, so how do you find with something like Slack, which is, uh, I guess, for many people, it's permanently on in the background, mm-hmm. whereas emails, people at least historically used to have the tendency of switching off to them once they'd finished work. I know a lot of us don't, Dixie. But, <laughs> Aww, uh, but with, I just got called out. <laughs> <laughs> but, with, but with Slack, it's a little like receiving a Facebook message. Uh, so how do you find the balancing acts of work and and I guess, and life outside of work. Uh, Do you find that being a developer, you have to kind of constantly be switched on? Or do you think you've got that balance down? Oh, I'm still working on the balance. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm one of those people that if I see the little, you know, button light up on on Slack, so I know there's a new message in some channel, I have to go look at it. Yep. 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 (laughs) I'm so bad at that. That is how it is. (laughs) Um, So I guess it's two things. Number one, I am pretty good at if I minimize it, I will forget it's there for a while. Um, on you know, my, I have a desktop computer I work on and, and a laptop computer. Mostly that's because I have a cranky old man cat who will come in. It, I mean, I can almost guarantee you he's going to yowl at some point um, in the background. Yay, more <laughs> but he'll like he'll get up and it's like it's afternoon snuggle time. And by the way, you're done working in this office because. I want to be in here, so I have to move to the other room um, because I am a sucker, and apparently I'm on my cat's schedule instead of my own. Um, but my desktop I computer. <laughs> I mean, they're cute, and you know. Um, but my desktop computer has all of my my work slacks on it, and my my laptop mostly has like my social slacks on there. And what I'll do is I have my my phone has the work slack so if somebody asks me it'll, it'll ding and i'll know it's time to go look at it but it's sort of that if i put it away where i can't see it or it's not sending me notifications i'm not feeling that urge to go look and see if anybody's asked a question right now so i can focus on something else right i mean that's important i'm, I'm trying to figure out various ways to do that i think that my most recent um thing the thing i'm kind of working on right now is letting my task bar disappear mm. when I'm working on something else. Yep. <laughs> because otherwise, yeah, you're completely right. If I see a little one pop up in my Slack, I'm like, well, I got to go check that, even if I'm deep in the middle of something else. Yep. Um, for Discord, I have everything turned off except for the one Discord I like truly care about hearing what's going on in. Yeah. Which is our work from home one that we talked about before. Uh, but even then, sometimes I'll mute the notifications in there for, you know, a few hours. Yeah. Uh, but yes, Matthew's correct. I am so bad about it because, like, my phone has the always-on display, so it pops up. I, if I have an email, there's a little red icon on my phone all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, that icon needs to go away, so I've yep. got to at least look at what the email is. Yep. Red for alarming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, thanks, Gmail, for choosing that color for your uh, email program. If it were green or blue, I think I'd feel less yeah, worried about it. that's true. <laughs> And I think we're in such a, you know, everything is happening all at once sometimes. And, you know, I 
Twitter, I have to, I, it's the same, it's a mental trick. Like I, it's my pinned tab. So if I'm, I know if I have to like bounce out to the internet to look something up, if Twitter is the page that I see first, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole for 10 minutes. So I will just trick myself and leave another tab live instead of Twitter. And then I probably won't look at it. Um, it it's like, it's stupid writer tricks, basically, you know, ways that you kind of turn your brain in another direction. Yeah. I don't, like, I have a little tiny laptop that I occasionally use to work remotely. Mm-hmm. I don't love the thing, but what I do, because it's, it's a little slow, you know, it's a little old. But what I do love about it is that it's not good enough to run Slack and Discord and all that stuff. Yep. Well, it's also <laughs> running Word and possibly, uh, you know, Firefox tab. Yep. Um, just, it's, it's, it's not good enough. It's a little tiny, like, 13-inch, 11-inch, something like that, like, Lenovo bought it for a hundred and fifty dollars laptop. Mm-hmm. That's um, same thing so with mine. It, yeah, it, yeah, it like won't run Slack. <laughs> <laughs> if it does, it slows down the computer so badly. I tried to play a game on Roll Twenty a while back on there, and I ended up having just to go to like GChat on my phone. Oh no! <laughs> so I was like, I was like, this this computer won't do anything. Yep. Um. So it's 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 great when I had ne- when I have a day when like I really just need to hammer out some editing. Sometimes it's like get up, go to the coffee shop, plant myself there. Um. My my other experiment I've been thinking about, Matthew, is even taking that little laptop and just going and working up in my kitchen or something. Yeah. So I'm not at my giant desktop, which has, you know, all my games and programs and fun things on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, see, I'm I'm caught uh, kind of the other way. I don't have a desktop and I do need one because my laptop is probably a, within the next, I guess, year. If I keep working on exclusively this, I'm going to end up with some long term back and neck pain just because. Yeah, I don't know my... how you work on that service. Yeah, uh, it, with, with difficulty sometimes, especially if I'm proofing or, or uh, I don't know, well, even redlining where I have to compare documents. It's very mm-hmm. difficult on a single monitor. So, yeah, next year we'll we'll see the investment into a desktop PC again uh, with the Surface only coming out for emergencies. Yeah, because, I mean, I that's one of the things I did when I moved uh, to Delaware was I pretty much immediately bought a new computer because I didn't have a desktop before that. And once I started doing this full time, which was about, it was a few months before I moved, I uh, kind of got to a point where my, my my big laptop is just so old. Like I have one big laptop that I've had since maybe 2010. So back in the day, it was a super high-end gaming laptop, and now it's 10 years old, and it's not that. Yep. Um, and it was just so slow, it crashed all the time. And then I got that little one, and it worked off that for a long time for the first few months I worked here. And then I kind of was like... I've got to get a desktop with like a either either one big monitor or two small ones, and I I, I went with the one big curved monitor, um, but it's great because I I can side by side stuff. So yeah, no, I, I I don't know how you do it, Matthew. I am I am in awe. I am awestruck. Uh, I wouldn't be in awe. I would I'd more feel pity towards me and my stupid situation. <laughs> my, my my wrists are at the perfect level for posture at the desk. However, I have to be perpetually looking down. Oh no. Uh, so yeah, it was a good idea at the time. The funniest thing about being a very short person and having a very large monitor is that the uh, weird setups I have to do to be able to put a camera on me for live streams are very silly. If anybody ever watches a live stream that I'm on, please know that there is literally a makeup palette standing upright right in front of my screen (laughs) with my camera balanced on it. Because if I put it at the top of my monitor, it's several inches above my head. <laughs> and it would be looking straight down on the ground of my head. 
and I've got gray hairs coming in. I don't need everybody to see that. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's it, I don't know. Whatever computer setups we have, whatever tricks we try to do for productivity, I don't think anybody's found the one hundred percent solution yet. No. Uh, so to go back a little bit to your development stuff, I know you're also developing Many Faced Strangers yes. with Eric Minton, which is the Lunar's companion. Yes. Um, for those listeners who don't know, sometimes when we're getting a, de- a, a writer and kind of transitioning them to a developer, a lot of times we'll make them a co-dev on a project or two before we give them their own projects. Um, so with Many Faced Strangers, especially since uh, Vance is our charm writing person a lot, like Vance is a little bit more writing on Exalted than Eric does overall. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I was like, Eric, how about you develop this with Lauren um, so we can give her projects later on her own so you don't have to develop every single thing. Because Eric and Vance are both incredibly busy in their day jobs. Yes. Um, and it was getting to a point where I felt bad putting as much Exalted on them as I was. Because I was like, okay, we're done with Lunars. On to Exigence. Okay, we have these stretch goal books. Okay, we're also doing a you know player's guide. Okay, we're doing this, we're doing that. And uh, I was like, okay, we need at least one more. Because <laughs> also, Megan as an Exalted dev is amazing, but she has other projects to do as well. Yeah. Um, and Lauren, you're going to end up being that person. You realize that you're going to turn into Megan 2.0. <laughs> we're going to be like, Lauren can work on every line. Sleep we have a Simon book for her. We have a Trinity book for her. <laughs> it's going to be like this like Trinity of you, Megan, and Danielle, where we're like, all three of you can work on pretty much anything. So, versus <laughs> projects. Yeah, there are worse people to be a 2.0 version of. I think if we can, if we can have this uh, Megan replicant line coming <laughs> out uh, to to produce our books, I think we can all sleep a lot easier. Definitely. So I mean, honestly... thank, thank you for picking up that mantle. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, it is very funny how often we go to Danielle or Megan as our like immediate choices when we have a book to do. So it's nice having other people filling that that role now and it's not that other developers aren't good it's that a lot of them are kind of niche in what they work on Mm -hmm. um or they're just very busy with one line like i can't give every like we can't give every scion book to Neil because he'd be developing you know 10 books and we can't give every chronicles darkness book to you know megan and danielle because they have other things to work on as well. So just having you know, more people come up is always super helpful. Yeah. And it's been, <laughs> I feel the same way about editing. Like, I try to get my editors kind of cross-trained. Yeah. And it's it's been really neat. Like, Eric, again, is it, it, there are times I said, I said to him in Slack the other day, I'm like, you know, every once in a while I'll ask myself, what would Eric and Vance say about this particular section? Or, you know, what questions would they be asking? Because they both really have a just kind of encyclopedic knowledge of not just exalted, but um, I, I, I don't know, history and, and politics and social structures and things that even in, you know, when they're redlining me, they'll come back with, um, did you think about this? And I'm like, Nope, I didn't. <laughs> now I need to. And it's, it's been really, I, I think with all of the Onyx path developers, you know, Matthew, you've done it. Neil's done it. Um, just those questions that, and I guess that's the developer's job, right? Is to ask the questions that the writers didn't think of when they were writing or, you know, how can you dive mm. into this a little bit more? Um, you know, you've brought up a really cool thing, now expand on it. Right. I think you were talking earlier about having to kind of turn on different brains for writing and developing. And I think one of the most interesting balancing acts that we do is when you're a developer, you have to let the writer be creative on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you can't be so attached to your perfect vision of what you think it's going to look like that you don't let them be a little creative. 
but also you need to make sure that it is a cohesive property and no one's voice is coming through so strongly that you can tell it's somebody else. Yes. Which and it's a really tough balancing act. Yeah, and that's the thing that, you know, when we tell fiction writers is have your own unique voice but then on the rpg side of things it's you've got to kind of sound like uh, you know the book is written by one person when it's probably written by what 10 to 15 sometimes um Mm -hmm. so that's it's a really hard thing to kind of rein in um and i i I don't know how to i don't know if there's a a good tactic to doing that and I, i guess the thing i would say is collaborative writing has been that's probably one of the things that lets me do that is because, like I said, I did a whole whole heck of a lot. I mean, probably tens of thousands of words of World of Warcraft fan fiction with other people. And it was that, okay, we're telling this story and I'm writing with this person. So kind of matching your voice to that. Um, mm-hmm. The book that got me my agent, I actually co-wrote with my best friend. And she couldn't tell, the our agent couldn't tell which one of us had written which chapters. And, and that's really, yeah, (laughs) it it still hasn't sold yet. We're hoping it's, you know, it was one of those things, the market always changes, like what's trendy right now Mm -hmm. is not what's going to be trendy in two years. And we we were writing, um, you know, a kind of school for magical children book at, at the time when that thing was kind of that trend was sort of on its downswing because everybody was done with Potter and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but it it comes back around too, because there's, I can, you know, I've, my, my day job was I was a sales rep for a publisher. And so we were starting to see the kids going to magical schools books coming back around. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where like nothing's ever dead in publishing. People will get tired of it for a while, but it's going to come back. Right. I mean, even recently we talked in a podcast episode for a while about Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is a video mm-hmm. game that is mostly a magical school yeah. game. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely in the zeitgeist right this yep. second. Um, I think one of the trends I've seen, and granted, I've fallen out of knowing about the YA market since I stopped working at a bookstore, but one of the trends that I've seen a lot recently or over the past few years is the more, you know, gritty adult version of Magical mm-hmm. School with things like The Magicians being as popular as it is now Three Houses and yep. what have you. Yeah. And- but I mean, it's still magic school at some oh yeah absolutely and i mean there there's so much that there still is left to explore in those things um and you know one thing i've seen a lot of writers talking about on 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 twitter that's where a lot of my my you know writing conversation seems to happen um but you know somebody was saying well when you say these trends are dead it's probably because they've been written to death by a lot of white writers and there are still writers from marginalized um groups who have not yet had their chance to tell that story so basically Mm -hmm. stop declaring this stuff dead because that's 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 harmful in in its own way yeah i can definitely see that and that's a good point to keep in mind when you're thinking about trends and how they come and go um matthew did did you have any insight on the developer versus writer thing when it comes to like not being too precious about your writing versus not being too precious about your outline uh well to be honest, I've kind of swung a different way. When I first started getting into development, I was very much about the outline and staying true to it. Uh, I had, I would have a definitive vision of the book I had in mind, and my red lines would then be incredibly heavy, uh, even if the work that was being turned in was of uh, excellent quality, if mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was matching what I had 
plat and initially I would sometimes request changes, not to a brutal degree, uh, but to keep in line with what I initially had in mind. Now, these days I'm a little easier going. I think I've got more trust in the teams that I hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because I, I often hire, I, I'll, I'll always hire new people. Almost every single project I'll hire at least one or two people who haven't worked for us before. But I will also go back to writers who I know are tried and true, established and know what they're doing because of course I would. And it, with writers such as Lauren, for instance, Lauren has no doubt noticed that the red lines I give her grow increasingly sparse because she's an excellent writer. I know you're in the room. I'm crawling under my desk us. right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, she, no she, she's an she's an excellent writer. Always gets the point and is always happy to collaborate with other writers. And honestly, that is an excellent trio of skills to possess. Just quality on your own, being able to collaborate, being able to follow an outline. If you can do all of that, then wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means my my red lines have become less heavy. I don't need people to adhere to the outline so much because I'll have faith in what they're doing. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's one of those things I've changed with over the times. I would say. Yeah, I think that's something that I've tried to uh, work with on on Exalted is because I know that for a while there was more of a attitude of keeping things very, very true to whatever prior setting had been established or what have you. And it's like, it's a new addition. Like, we can we can have some fun mm-hmm. with it, you know? Um, so I think that that's, that's something that overall as a team we've been loosening up on as well, which is nice. Oh, yeah, well, it's especially the case for Vampire as well, of course, because I've been developing a fair amount of Vampire Lawrence works for me on at least, uh, well, I think it's two or three Vampire books at this point, two, isn't it? Two, I think, yeah. Uh, mm, uh, and again, her work has been fantastic. It's been largely mechanical, uh, as, as opposed to the fiction that, for instance, Lauren uh, wrote for some of our other games, uh, including Mummy. And again, the burst of new ideas that come out through Lauren's lore sheets for V5 is something I don't think I'd be able to expect from another writer. Sometimes I'm able to pinpoint a writer and think, I think uh, she's really going to be able to get this. And she's been able to do it whilst innovating, not just cleaving to what Vampire has always been about, but expanding it. And I think that's a very valuable trait. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when you're on a new edition of something, that's just kind of, you know, that's that's important to be able to kind yeah. of change things up a little bit. So I know that with, you know, Becca's Jihad Diary leading into V5, like we we changed a bunch of metaplot or blew up a lot of metaplot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, having writers who are still like willing to do the research and figure out where, where they should keep things and also willing to innovate where they where they need to is, is very, very useful. I... So I know you're also developing... Oh, I was Go just going to say, the, um, developing for, for global outbreaks for Contagion Chronicle has been that kind of learning to let go a little bit, where with with um, the Exalted development, I'm still doing that, like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm deferring, obviously, to, to, you know, Megan and Eric, because they're, they're the ones that have built all of this up. And with, with global outbreaks, it, it's sort of like I've, you know, thrown myself out of the nest or been thrown out of the nest. So it's it's just me. And that that sort of here here's what I thought this city would look like. And, and one of you know the writers takes it in a different direction. And it's really cool. Um, and mm-hmm. that's been 
that sort of letting go of here's here's how I thought this would go, but this is somebody else's idea and it totally works. Um, so that's been a lot of fun seeing where people take things when, you know, the, the directive was kind of the same one that, that Matthew gave us in the Contagion Chronicle, which is, you know, pitch your ideas for the city and for what's going on in it. And my my writers on it just had such good ideas. I'm like, I want I want you to do all of these things. And and they would find things that I hadn't even thought about. Um and you know, a little bit of okay, you know, pull pull this back a little, focus on that. But it's I, I think the thing that I was thinking about with it is when you're writing for RPGs, you can't write for one single outcome, one single story, because the storytellers who take that material are going to, they're going to take it in their own direction and their players are going to take it in their own direction. So it's, it's a similar thing. Like you're, when you're writing an adventure, you have to write it for a bunch of people. And when you're developing an adventure, it's, it's kind of that another iteration of that, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm. No, I can totally see that. Like I, but my, my only development project where I actually, you know, dubbed the whole thing was the uh, adventure collection for monarchies. And I very much did what we've we've seen done before, where I told all the writers to send me, you know, a couple of mm-hmm. pitches for what their adventure should be. And then I kind of let them write it. And then I, you know, got them to open up parts of it a little bit so it wasn't too railroady. And it was just yeah. fun. And yeah, players who play one of those might go completely off the rails halfway it's through. always the way. <laughs> uh, Yes. But I think what you wrote was at least yeah. fun. So, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a fine line. Go ahead, Matthew. Sorry. What what can you tell us about some of the locations and contagious outbreaks in Global Outbreaks? Oh, goodness. So we have uh, seven locations um, all across the world. Um, One of them is Chicago, which is a follow-on from the World of Darkness Chicago game, which I thought was very cool because it doesn't, that book doesn't have a, a meta plot. So um, my writer for that, David Fuller, took, um, a just sort of one of the single threads and um it's it's the mage thread so i was super excited about that because i am i am a mage girl at heart in a lot of ways um and expanded on some some weird things going on with paradox um let's see we've got sao paulo brazil um where Bianca gave us a, a a mummy artifact gone gone very wrong, <laughs> and there there are um, kata everywhere. Um, so that that's been fun, especially since the mummy Kickstarter is running right now. Um, kind of keeping that those you know those two things in mind. Like as as the Kickstarter releases, it's the I'm reminded of different parts of of mummy that were super cool that Bianca pulled in. Um, mm-hmm. What else have we got? We have uh oh clara wrote a very cool um it's a a small town in uh i believe it's denmark where um an ancient yeah an ancient viking treasure has uh brought the plague to town a few times and it's it's interacting with people in in strange ways and it's this sort of isolation versus tourism kind of thing going on huh that sounds super interesting. I haven't gotten to read these yet, so I'm excited about seeing them eventually. Yeah. I think all the Contagion stretch goals are going to be a lot of fun, but I think Global Outbreaks just kind of being the like story hooks mm-hmm. book is probably going to be uh, very, very useful. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's my kind of book as a reader. You know how much I love my story hooks. 
But how did how have you found developing such a arguably complex game? Because my personal experience with Contagion Chronicle is or was that was a hell of a lot of work <laughs> to uh, to to make all of those game lines mesh and actually work together. Um, it's it's definitely been like there's a learning curve to it. it you know. On the one hand, there's just the straight up, you know, Chronicles of Darkness rule set to keep in mind, but then there's all of the layers that the different games bring to it and finding the neat intersections between um, where where the different game lines kind of either butt heads or dovetail nicely. Um, so I've definitely mm-hmm. had like, you know, six or seven PDFs open at a time while I'm looking up rules and um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember there was there. there was one uh, section and I want to say it was, oh gosh, I'm going to draw a total blank on it. But one, one of the writers had found this really neat thing that like, oh, well, these two groups... Uh, was it like a demon in their cover or I'll remember it at like two in the morning and you know um, but it, it was that thing where there are what is it 11 different games now for Chronicles is it 11 uh, 12 well, I think wow. it's 12 <laughs> um, but it's it's they interact in interesting ways and the the cool thing in in the the mummy setting was there's a sort of parallel lives thing going on and um what we in the the main Contagion Chronicle book was you you had a sort of tie one lo- one setting into another and kind of you know just drop a story hook where um, Antarctica could lead to Kyoto, um, and one of one of the setting pieces in Global Outbreaks points at one of the others in a really cool way with the the weird paradox effect that's going on. It's like, well, what if this is happening here? And how does that work? And so that, that's been cool. It's been definitely been intimidating because there's, you know, there's a lot of game lines and there's a lot of mechanics to to keep in mind. But um, it's also been neat to see all of the, the just the, the huge, huge setting that is Chronicles of Darkness and the, the different things, the ways you can kind of mix them up and, and shake things up with it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a world spanning mm-hmm. setting. But when you're doing something like Contagion, you really kind of want to bring all those various places in yeah. together. That's awesome. I love that you're working on so much stuff for us I'm right so now. Excited! It's it's really like I, I look at my my folder of things, and I'm like, this is college me has fallen out of her chair several times and doesn't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there anything that you're not currently working on or haven't worked on that you really really want to work on oh goodness um and it it could be one of our things or it can be one of our things or one of somebody else's things you have your the world (laughs) (laughs) um you know i right now i haven't thought too far ahead um i've i've adored working on scion that's been a lot of fun so i'm i'm hoping to you know for future scion things i would love to continue to be part of that um I, I have been watching legend lore with, with a lot of interest because, I mean, Steffi is just fantastic. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I think that'll be really exciting when it comes out. Um, that's a very good question. I, I you know, there's all these, pro- um, you know, media properties that are out there nowadays that it's like, oh, that'd make a really cool role-playing game. And like we've, yep. you know, we're we're watching his dark materials, and it's like, oh, I bet that'd be really, you know, it, the, I'm just trying to think of like what the demon mechanics would be for that, and yeah, there's there's probably like a million things I would I would 
love to get my fingers in, into. I think I think we've talked about dream projects before on on the podcast, and it's always just like looking around the room at all my books, <laughs> going like that and that and mm-hmm. that and also that, and then looking at my you know video game Steam library and being like that one and that one. Yep. <laughs> like there's so many worlds yeah. to play in, and uh, there's so many that haven't been haven't been explored yeah. yet in in the tabletop community. I've looked at um, or tabletop games you want to see yeah. video games things like that I, i've looked at the um the the world that i wrote for storium was uh sort of a haunted town where all of the people have disappeared and so a bunch of different groups of like ghost hunters and you know like the kind of the, the i call them the ghost bros the you know ghost adventures sort of uh you know go into town and put turn on your cameras and and you know, try to get some ghosts to punch you or whatever, a, a bunch of different groups of them converge on this little town. And I'm like, you know, I bet I could expand that into something pretty neat. Um, but, you know, I also have to sleep sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still say that one of my dream projects or, you know, dream things to see in the world would be World of Warcraft. But oh, it's all yes. Good. Like, I just want mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> like all the factions are built in. You've got a giant world to play in. You've got, you know, all of your different get classes oh, already. Yeah. So someone go make that <laughs> incredibly large game that will take several yes. years to develop. Go make it so um, we can play it. Yes, please. Just just go do it for <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I think we're about near time. Is there any place people can find you or buy your uh, books? I mean, go ahead and plug, plug yeah, that. I, I am on uh, Twitter as at Falcon S that's with an E S S E. Um, and uh, I do have a Patreon up and running. It's pretty new, but you can actually, if, if people have read the uh, night owls books, the first chapter of the third book in progress is one of the patron rewards. Um, I think I'm Patreon. I'm Lauren M. Roy. Um, and those are probably the best places to find me. But only support this Lauren yeah. Don't support <laughs> oh, the other that's Lauren true. Emroy. Yeah, my my mother-in-law found out that there is another Lauren M. Roy who also lives in Massachusetts and writes children's books about bees, and I am terrified of bees. So I had to convince her that no, I am not. I am not that same writer. I'm pretty sure I would know if I had written such a book, and I don't know what alternate universe me would ever do that. But <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like mirror mirror universe right? Lauren. Do you think she came with with a beard and maybe a villainous a villainous Either agenda? That or I have a fetch running around and I don't know about. <laughs> right. Oh no! Was... Mm. There's like another Lauren that's just made like, of. Oh no, no! And it's like definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could even go confront her in that case because that's just I'm done. That's you know. She only writes about right? what she knows, about what she is. Yeah, it's her, it's her way of explaining the trauma of being a fetch made entirely about well, a beehive, a walking oh beehive. Goodness. That's I'm... yeah, that's a bit tragic <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Yeah, but, yeah, you should feel for are. other Lauren. Yeah, you should feel <laughs> I, for other Lauren. You I shouldn't do. Change I, her. I feel for her. I just don't want to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, now that we have established what Lauren's sketch is, <laughs> we're going to scoot on over to the outro. Wasn't that fun? That was amazing. I'm giddy. I was, <laughs> I was in shocked silence the whole time because I couldn't talk. <laughs> shocked silence? I know, were you, it's rare for Were me. you awestruck by Lauren's majesty? I was, actually. I, I, was, I, was, I was deeply enamored.
or yeah, we had a lot charmed. of fun talking to Lauren. Charmed. I mean, yeah, that's that Try worked on status effect here. <laughs> <laughs> paralyzed. I think it was paralyzed. Paralyzed. Confused. <laughs> slowed. Slowed. I was definitely slowed. Yeah. Insensate. <laughs> Ooh, I don't I remember. Like See, I'm thinking like second edition AD&D status effects at this point. Insensate. What would that actually make a character do? In oh, I was thinking drinks? of conditions. Uh, well, that, that would be more appropriate given right. where we work. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Let, let's make a second edition AD&D book. Okay, the, so in, Insensate is a personal tilt where the character shuts down either due to extreme fear or sudden pleasure. The character can't take any actions until the tilt is resolved. He can apply defense mm. to incoming attacks, and if he takes any damage, the tilt ends. I, I that that was definitely where I was. I was definitely insane. Oh, See? okay. I and know I some the... mechanics. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you read it several times, so I certainly I didn't it. just open my copy of Changeling Two E to read that. Of course oh. not. No, I was completely off the top of your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know the exact wording of the insensate tilt. <laughs> And nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. That's the only mechanic I know. What's a target number? What's a dice pool? I don't understand. What's, What's a dice? I don't know. Mean? But goddamn, I can tell you what insensate means. What's an attribute? I don't. I know nothing about Chronicles of Darkness. <laughs> except for the insensate tilt. If I ever run a game of the Chronicles of Darkness for you, everyone's just going to be insensate the whole time, and I'm going insensate to leave the, the table and go get a snack. <laughs> Though, you know, that would be a fantastic way of starting. I don't know if it would be fantastic. It would be a way of starting <laughs> a, uh, a story with all characters with the insensate condition. And then you've got to break free of it, and then the story starts. You could even it's say it's... it's Well, sorry, the tilt. It's a tilt. Weren't you listening? <laughs> um, <laughs> you could even say it's in medias res. Oh, God, please don't start with that. Could you say that? <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, yeah, so it was a fun interview. I always love uh, speaking and working with Lauren. I've really got to read some of her books. Like, that whole Vampire Librarian Monster Hunter series sounds really awesome. It sounds like you in another life. <laughs> I mean, I have also worked in a in, in a small bookstore. I've, I've, I've worked in a large bookstore. I've worked in bookstores in general. And uh, yeah. I, I dress like a vampire, so. But have you ever hunted down and <laughs> drank the blood of a customer? Uh, no. Not that you can <laughs> confirm. I, I like how you had to pause and think about that before you answered. I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> right. that I have it, ever hunted down and drank the blood it, of a customer. It wasn't much of a hunt, to be honest. How <laughs> <laughs> much of a customer? Yeah. Funny story, the word customer actually sounds weird to me now, um, really? because at Sephora, we call our customers clients, mm, and that, we that's always increasing. Refer- and like, and then before that, I worked at a Joanne Fabric at one point, and there we had to call them guests. So saying customer sounds very like hard and kind of like, we just want your money to me now, which it, like in a way that bothers me. Um, and it's, it, it's definitely all due to the way that company culture is at at sephora Mm -hmm. um but like they are our clients we are there for them you know that that kind of thing and so whenever anybody says customer it's like "Mm -mm." like it like like, tweaks something weird in me and i know it's not a bad word there's just something about it that's like it just it just seems wrong now and it's interesting because i I, 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 we never explicitly talk about this but we don't really 
talk about we use the word community and fan and all that stuff. They don't really use customers a ton. I think customer just sounds very transactional mm-hmm. in a way that um, I'm not super fond of because, you know, I like, I'm a people person. I like talking to people. And once you take a relationship down to where it's just like, you know, you, you are the customer, I am the seller or whatever, mm-hmm. that's that's all there is to it. There's no other relationship. But when it comes to our, our fan community or our, you know, gaming community, I, I like talking to everybody and I like interacting with them. And same with the, the podcast community and everything, you know, what have you. We have we have podcast guests on and then we send it out to the to the fans and they can listen and, and, and interact and comment. And yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird tweak. When I uh, I was st- I studied a degree in health and social care as mm-hmm. uh, through open university i never actually went to university uh, and i never completed the degree uh, because i realized i wasn't going to earn enough money to pay the rent if i continued doing it so but anyway one of the things that i learned during that was there was an increasing trend at least in the uk for doctors to refer to their patients as clients especially if you were a carer uh, so you know, someone visiting to deliver physiotherapy or something like that. You had to refer to the, your your clients as clients, uh, and there was a a bit of a backlash to this because it was imposing a very neutral uh, term to to people who didn't necessarily want that term used to describe them. Uh, it was a lot of, I guess, positive positive language that people didn't necessarily associate with their conditions. They didn't think of themselves as clients. They thought of themselves as patients. So they didn't like mm-hmm. the fact that they were being called clients. Uh, it was it was around the same time we were being taught that we should be referring to people as, let's say, wheelchair users as opposed to wheelchair bound. And I, I completely agree. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, that doesn't remove the right of the person to consider themselves wheelchair bound because that may well be how they perceive their their condition. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I've got a uh, that that odd that client thing seems to have pervaded everything because even in when I was working in investments, uh, so I, I've obviously jumped around a fair amount in my career. Uh, I just talked careers. about like eight different retail places that I've worked at. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we were told at one point we had to refer to people as members. Then we had to, but that sounded too neutral. Again, uh, didn't have enough personality. So then we would refer to them as clients, but then we had to refer to them as investors. And it was all kinds of weird things like that. Um, the The main thing was to try and personalize it, but ultimately there wasn't a good way of personalizing people when they're all individuals and one size does not necessarily fit all. Anyway, I that was like... me on a tangent. <laughs> I mean, no, like it, it's, it, it's a tangent. We're talking about language and, and, and it's interesting. I, I personally like clients because all it means at definition is someone who's using the services of a professional. So like in the doctor-patient dichotomy, often you know the doctor has the power and the patient mm. is, you know, they're sick and they need help and they're being taken care of. And instead, especially with someone like a physical therapist or something, saying like, oh, you know, I am utilizing your services in order to improve my life. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's 
a nicer way of saying it personally and it gives a lot of agency back to the person who previously didn't have power in the dichotomy well that's definitely the hope i think that's the objective and that's also like one of the reasons why i strongly advocate for freelancers to talk about the people they work for as clients um again kind of in the reverse way but like you're establishing the fact that this person's come to you for services so mm-hmm. it forces the freelancer to think of themselves as a professional, forces them to think of themselves as a person who has some authority and some knowledge and is being sought out. And so when we refer to the people you work with as clients, it sets up these it sets up the relationship better, but also it it, it helps to reinforce the friends because otherwise it becomes uh, oh well you're just the the non employee we're using, you know, and it can be very kind of degrading and frustrating. So if you go, oh no, the, uh, I, you're coming to me, you're my client, I'm giving you a service, then it helps to reframe that, I think, a little better. Yeah, coming from retail, it took me a while to come around to that because in my brain, I was, you know, a temporary employee. Right. Because <laughs> um, that's that's what it felt like. Um, but then when I, when I kind of looked at it the other way, I was like, oh, I, I do feel better about that. You know, mm-hmm. I am a professional editor. This is what I do. I have clients. They can be individual people. They can be companies, but they're still all clients. Right. And that's, that's really nice. When, when you're a freelancer. So all of our writers out there, take note. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That you should definitely be thinking that way. Octopath is your client. <clears throat> yeah. And so is anybody else that you work for. Mm-hmm. And so if your you know, relationship goes sour in any way, like A, you should talk to them about it if you can. B, you can find somebody else who needs your professional services, who's willing to treat you the way you should be treated. Exactly. That was our soapbox about language <laughs> and also freelancing. Uh, as always, the outro has nothing to do with the interview, really, which is normal. Um, but I do recommend people follow Lauren, uh, check out her work, definitely look at some of her books. Uh, they're available on Amazon and other places, I'm assuming. Um, I'm hoping you can order them through your local bookstore because that's the best way to support local bookstores. But if you can't, they're out there in the world and they are quite good. We'll put a link to them in the show notes, uh, once I find out her preferred way of selling. (laughs) <laughs> indeed but yeah had a good time we are currently at PAX Unplugged yes yes yes. yes. we are currently well, when at you PAX say Unplugged we... yes uh, the important people on this podcast are currently at PAX Unplugged oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey 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 all the important people went to UK Games Expo a while back and I wasn't there so it's alright yep. right. and That's last right. week as of time of reco- well as a time of broadcast I will be at Dragon Meet so you know what can you do so you have, um, you have, you have two options Matthew you can win at Mario Kart or you can go to PAX Unplugged <laughs> or as I have demonstrably shown <laughs> I could do both uh, but I won't I won't do either despite myself <laughs> The point is, if you're listening to this and you'll be attending the convention even for like a day, uh, come say hi, come by the booth, talk to us. Uh, We are super approachable. Uh, It is always kind of strange when I hear somebody about two feet away going, I know their voices, and then they don't talk to me, Mm. which has happened a couple (laughs) of times at conventions, and it's very weird. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, just just come talk to me. Like, I'm I'm five foot one. I'm the least intimidating person. Uh, also, if I talked to you before and I don't recognize you, I am moderately face blind. Just throwing that out there. I am sorry. Once you tell me your name, I'll remember who you are. I just have bad memory. I have no excuse. I mean, you could you could, you could make up an excuse. Uh, you could. I was attacked by ninjas and it destroyed my short term memory. There you go. Yeah. It would. Yeah. It would. They're very good at that. Their shurikens can cut through. <laughs> 
the medulla oblongata, and it uh, could completely cut your short-term memory, it's exactly. true. I have no scars to prove that, but, you know. I feel like weapons that just slice memory is a very exalted thing. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Like, it just sounds like a sidereal power. That would definitely be cool. Or a mummy the curse thing. Yeah, yeah. So I want to see memory shurikens on your next draft, Matthew. Okay, <laughs> done. Uh, Eddie, you could even say that they left you uh, insensate. That's true. Ooh, mm-hmm. bringing it back around. Yeah. <laughs> see, I was about to say stupefied. It was it just nearly escaped, not because of anything we've said. It was just for some reason that came more naturally than insensate. But I guess they mean the same thing, don't they? Stupefied. Stupefy is one of the Harry Potter powers that I was annoyed that was the name of it. Yeah, and then also true. in the book, they explain what it does, and I'm like, yeah, obviously, mm-hmm. like it's. It's the word that is the thing that you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are a couple of Harry Potter powers that I'm like, yeah, that one's like, how do they have like Alohomora to open locks and they're like stupefy to stupefy somebody? Right. I'm like, what? Why? Whoever made the, that spell, I guess, whoever crafted it was lacking in imagination. Because I mean, at that point, Nevada Kedavra might as well just be kill. You know, like it's it's weird. yeah, yeah, unlock, yeah. dead, like <laughs> <laughs> you dead, bang. I want you all to know that when I said that, I did extend my arm as if I were holding a wand because I'm expecting audio content. I know, right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, what, what what would you use for this uh, for stupefy then, if you were doing Harry Potter? If you were let's let's all right, let's take it to one of our games. Let's say we're doing Mage the Awakening or Mage the Ascension. So you've got to say something magical. I know you don't in those games, but let's roll with it. So you've got to say something, Dixie. What would you say? I don't know. It'd be Latin or Greek or something, probably. That, there, Which that's power. probably Latin is just Latin. Uh, here we go. Stupefy in Latin is, I'm not going to say this right, but it's like obstupefacio? Obstupefacio? Why couldn't they have gone with that? That's a word. Obstupefacio! <laughs> I don't speak Latin! Oh, wait, wait, wait. I can, I can make it talk. Obstupefacio. I don't, I don't know believe what a that word of it. I, 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 that, wow. I think, I think it just I said something very rude to you. Right. <laughs> What about, you could do something like soporifica. I don't know why my mage is Italian now, but soporifica. Uh, there's also tereo, which is like to frighten, terrify, stupefy. There's a lot okay. of words. Mm-hmm. The point Outer is... Outer for the counter. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that Dracula's stupefy <laughs> Uh, Dracula's ship took a left turn at Italy and decided to uh, just just decided to park. He's been picking up the local dialect, eating some very bloody pasta. Out for the count. Out oh. for the count. Yeah. I really want to see a video of Dracula saying that. Oh my god! Like just like with the with the sunglasses from like CSI, he like knocks the guy out, and he's just like, I guess he's out. Or, or if he was a private detective, when he leaves the office, he could turn the open sign around and it says out for the count. Oh, or whenever Renfield runs an errand for Dracula. <laughs> oh yeah, what are you up status. to, Renfield? I'm, yes, very good. Oh my god. I'm insensate for the count. You're not getting it, are you? <laughs> These jokes are making me insensate. <laughs> I didn't. 
I don't know what just happened, but Count okay. Dracula, PI. <laughs> there you go. That's a new game for us to uh, to work on next time we do a, a game uh, invention podcast. I will take on Count Dracula, PI. <laughs> okay. I think we might fight Rose that for down. that one. Oh yeah, we might have to fight Rose for that one. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, aside from packs unplugged and other places in the physical world uh eddie where can people find you follow uh, you uh, probably writing dracula pi at this point <laughs> um and if i do write that it'll be published through uh pugstudy.com which is my professional website you can also find my social media accounts through there uh matthew uh they can find me uh, soporus on matthewdawkins.com and they can find me on Twitter as Clack Click Bang. Uh, they can find me on the Gentleman Gamer YouTube channel. That's right, we started uploading things to the Gentleman Gamer YouTube channel Ooh, as well. Uh, <laughs> Lovely to be back. And uh, the Onyx Path YouTube channel and the Onyx Path Twitch channel. All that fun stuff. You can find me at Dixie Cyanide on my social media, DixieCochran.com. You can find us at TheOnyxPath.com on our various discords and facebook pages and twits and twitters and what have you um uh, as always many worlds one pathcast <laughs>